Welcome into the Forum Club here at The Athletic. I'm Bill Oram, joined by Anthony Slater. Slater, the Lakers have clinched the one seed. Pause for confetti, champagne corks, all that. Are you surprised, Anthony Slater, that the Lakers are the one seed in the Western Conference on August, whatever it is, 3rd, 4th, 5th, something like that? Well, I'll tell you what, I am surprised that it was clinched on August 3rd because typically we're all on vacation on August 3rd (laughs) in a normal NBA calendar. Am I surprised? No, because, uh, you know, it's been frozen in my mind for four months that there were five games up or whatever in the West. I didn't know if the season was even going to happen. Um, but if it did, you know, it's been known for a while. Um, I guess, you know, the start of the season was nearly a year ago. So when the Clippers kind of didn't take the season serious, um, mm-hmm. that's what paved the way for the Lakers to kind of run away w- with it a little bit. You know, they they don't have some unbelievable, you know, nearing 70 win type pace if it was an 82 game season. It's just there's not anyone really quite in that tier because of the Clippers that, you know, they, it, it's, it was kind of an easy ride to the one seed. Yeah, Lakers are 51 and uh, 15 now um, after beating the Jazz on on Monday night. But yes, I mean, totally an anticlimactic climax, I suppose, in, in the sense that this was um, really since probably December, uh, the, the inevitable outcome. We knew this was going to happen. Um, you know, and I, I do want to say uh, a bit of a mea culpa for me personally. Um, this is uncharted territory for those of us who've been around the Lakers uh, only for this these losing years. This is my seventh or eighth, something like that, year on the beat. My first year was 2013, uh, the, the, the year after Dwight Howard had left. And I've only covered lottery teams. And so last night, the Lakers win. And I tweet that the Lakers had, had won the Western Conference Championship. And boy, my mentions, my texts... Everybody corrected me real quick that that doesn't happen until after the Western Conference Finals. So, um, sorry, Certainly please not. stick, please stick with me. I'm learning. This is all new for me. Me and Kyle Kuzma, we haven't been, we haven't been in this before. Um, but Lakers clinched the Pacific Division Championship. They are the one seed in the West. Now, uh, last night, LeBron told Tanya Ganguly from the LA Times that it is very satisfying to be the one seed in the West because nobody believed he could do it. Oh my. Do we agree that that's, BS. No. You know how, like, you know, we watched The Last Dance during that four-month hiatus, and it was Michael Jordan. George, you know, George Carl came into the restaurant before game one of the Sonics-Bulls finals and, like, didn't acknowledge Jordan as he walked by his table. And, you know, I, he that's why he was so good in game one and two. He had to, you know, exact revenge on George Carl. He made his brain believe that. Um, it's a little bit, you know, it kind of reminds me, like, LeBron is acting like, you know, Pete, you know, people said he'd never do anything in the West. No, your road just would have been tougher. And guess what? All you've done in the West is not make the playoffs last year for, you know, rightful reasons. You were hurt yes. and your roster wasn't good. But still, you didn't make the playoffs in your first year in the West. Um, and now in your second year in the West, the Goliath that sat in the West tumbled. You know, the right. Warriors aren't there. And that would they probably would have been fighting for the one seed this year if it was a normal Warriors team. Uh, and you haven't done anything yet. The playoffs, as LeBron knows, is where everything is decided. Uh, he's been the one seed as the Cleveland Cavaliers, especially when you go back in the day, you know, his first Cleveland Cavaliers teams, and they always lost as the one seed. And guess what? That was viewed as a disappointing season. Nobody looks back on the year that, you know, the Cavaliers lost to the Orlando Magic um, in the second round and says, you know, well, you know, nobody said he could be the one seed, but he was the one seed. Let's just forget about them losing in the second round. What is to come for LeBron? 
him winning a title at age 35, I'm not sure you could say. Nobody said I could do it because we can find a lot of LeBron stands and Lakers fans yeah. online who are definitely saying he could do it. But that would be a feat to celebrate for LeBron. What's strange to me is like, this is not a feat for LeBron to celebrate. And he knows that. Um, and he has not conquered the West. And I would argue the West isn't it quite as challenging as it uh, has, had been the last few years. You know, there was a year where the um, the eight seed, there's been there was a few years where the eight seed was a 50-win team in the West. Um, I can remember you, uh, well, the Lakers, when they played, the, remember it was the early Thunder teams, it was the first Thunder playoff team where it was Kobe's Lakers who like, would go on to win the title against the Thunder uh, at the eight. And it, the Thunder took him to six games. That was a 50-win Thunder team at the eighth seed. Um, the Lakers are about to play the first eighth seed in um, 23 years that has a losing record entering the playoffs. Uh, the West is not quite as deep as it was, and it does not have the top-end Warriors like it did the last five years. Agree. And and listen, here's the thing that, that people said LeBron wouldn't have been able to do in the Western Conference. He would not have been able to cruise to eight straight finals appearances in the West. He wouldn't have been able to carry a team with Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, um, uh, J.R. Smith, uh, that, that Cavs team. If that had been the Lakers, that team would not have, would not have made it to the finals in the Western Conference. Yes, LeBron's path in the East was easier. That is not his fault. It does not diminish his greatness, but he was able to get to the finals more times with less than he probably would have been able to do in the West. Now, if he goes, if he takes the Lakers to the Western or to the, to the NBA finals eight more times after this year, when we don't even know if it's going to happen, then I will, then I will buy into the fact that he has proven those people who question whether he could have the same success in the, in, in the West as he had in the East wrong. But in the meantime, uh, it, you're absolutely right about the last dance and Michael Jordan. This is, this is starting to feel kind of like LeBron's LeBradford Smith, um, a parallel where yes, you can find clips of people suggesting that LeBron wouldn't have, wouldn't be as good in the West. You can find clips of people saying coming into this year that LeBron was not, um, was not a top five player anymore. Nobody not said a, washed though. Nobody said washed it. Listen, listen, listen. I wrote a piece last year where I, where I said that LeBron, the Lakers might've gotten the worst version of LeBron ever. And, and that was after, you know, a, in the middle of a pretty disastrous year for him where he wasn't exerting himself on defense at all. It was after a game when he got blocked by Mario Hazonia on a game-winning sh- a shot attempt. It was just a kind of sad LeBron year. And I think LeBron felt that way. And I think the Lakers front office did LeBron wrong with, with a lot of the, the choices they made on who they put around him. And they remedied that. This he also year. killed the spirit of the roster. Absolutely. You know, hunting for Anthony Davis. Now, ultimately, as it has come out in the wash, good decision. Yep. Great decision to be as aggressive as he was. But he deserves a chunk of the blame for how last season went. Sure, but now obviously the the ship has been has been steadied and the Lakers are on are on course. Now we don't know if that means championship. We don't even know even know if that means Western Conference Finals. But um, the Lakers are where LeBron expected them to be. Now I will say, if we go back and look at where we all ranked teams coming into this this season almost a year ago when we were doing that before training camp, I think I might have had the Lakers third. Um, I think I think that you could find people who, who had them really had anywhere in the top four. Because you would have had Clippers I, I, first. I, I, I had the Clippers really high. I liked Denver coming back. And I still look, I still like Denver. Um, and, you know, I thought there was enough 
I thought there were enough teams that were coming in with some real continuity that that could um, and that the Lakers were going to have a harder time coalescing. So I, I liked I liked Utah adding Mike Conley and, and Bogdanovich um, on paper. I thought they had the best starting five in the league. Um, and then and Denver was coming back after being a real battle tested um, team, uh, you know, obviously the one seed a year ago. Older, more more mature and experienced. Uh, I did not expect the Lakers to come out and start the year twenty four and three or whatever it was before Christmas. Um, but but certainly, it's not a surprise that they are in a position to win a championship at the end of the season. You could have definitely made the argument to me that like Denver, at, when I'm talking preseason, that Denver or Utah might have a better record. But Correct. I always thought come playoff time when it mattered, and this is why the LeBron's statement about winning the one seed is strange to me. I always thought come playoff time is when you trust the LeBrons, the Kawhis of the world. So the Lakers and Clippers always, to me, were in a different tier than Denver and Utah. I don't see a Nikola Jokic team being a true title contender at this point where he is like the number one star by far. Um, And Jamal Murray, to me, is just not ready to be like the the co-star of a a Western Conference title team. Um, So Lakers, Clippers were in that tier. And honestly, Houston, because what I've seen them you know how close I've seen them push the Warriors to the brink the last mm-hmm. few years. They were a clear third to me, right under Lakers, Clippers. At, you know, as far as threats to actually, when we say win the Western Conference crown, as you learned last night, actually win the West in the playoffs. Um, Are so, they still for you? Are they still third? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, I've been beating too. their drum. I was beating their drum, as you know, like before this bubble has restarted. And guess like they've only strengthened that opinion with how they've played. You know. Um, Westbrook's look great. They they have unlocked Westbrook as a shooting guard, which for really for years in Oklahoma City that was an argument. You know when people go back and forth, he's not really a point guard, even though he's their point guard. Um, you know he's playing in this system, this D'Antoni system that kind of fits him. If you spread the floor, they've taken the center off the floor, and that's opened it up for him to just be kind of his downhill two guard self, catching, slashing, getting it in transition. Um, not worrying about big men clogging the lane and then being able to pass out to shooters. Um, and he's not really shooting threes. You know, that was the problem in Oklahoma City was like eight, you know, he's just chucking eight threes a game and he's shooting 24% at times. Um, so what they've done with him, I, I do worry about Houston in a um, in a series where maybe like game four, it's like, you know, they, they could really use going big. You know, they're kind of getting right. beat inside. Let's pivot to the big men for 22 minutes. They don't even have that option. You know, Clint Capella is not sitting there on the bench if they want him. So, um, Tyson Chandler is. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, so, but, but yeah, I, to, yes, if you, I think you probably feel the same way to me. If we were to power rank the title threats in the West, it would be exactly how I felt in preseason. The two LA teams up top, Houston, a clear third, big drop off. And then we can get into the Denver, Utah's, Dallas, mm-hmm. Oklahoma City. So we know the Lakers are going to be the ones. Actually, I have a question before we get to that. How many teams do you believe can win the championship? Do you have do you have a, a group of teams that you say if they if October thirteenth comes, Game Seven of the Finals is over, there is a team holding the Larry O'Brien tro- Trophy? How many teams are there that you could feasibly see being in that being in that spot? Two LA teams in Milwaukee, obviously. Yeah. Um, hmm. That gets interesting. Houston, yes, I could. Yes. Uh, four, so there's four. Um, I'm going out east, and I, I'm going to say something that is definitely not the hot opinion of the week. I can't see Toronto without Kawhi. Um, I don't believe they're really a true title threat. I think they're tough out, but 
but not a true title threat. Um, Boston's interesting to me. I hate what they have inside, but I feel like at their top level, maybe they could upset Milwaukee. I have to pick another East team because I could definitely see Milwaukee being upset, but I just don't know who I could really see winning a title. Philly, if they really got it together, but they're just not getting it together. Um, I'm going to say Boston as a fifth, maybe, and those will be my five. I mean, I think it's a good group. I, I like Toronto a lot. Just because I I agree they're a tough out. Are they going to win the four series, the progressive, the progressively more challenging four series uh, to to get there? I I don't know, but I do think that they are a a fascinating and and very and very dangerous team. You well, know what ahead. they are? They're one Kawhi away from being <laughs> a, a champion. You know what? I but they are so locked in defensively. They are so um they are so together defensively, and they have and they have um. And they have guys who can score. They have, they have a lot of different guys who can find ways to score. I mean, they're they're a difficult team to defend just because of the different ways they can attack you. But I agree in terms of um, you know having that super dominant two way guard is 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 absolutely what you would put on their roster that they're missing. So um, I, I I would put the Raptors on my list just because I think if Milwaukee gets upset, let's say Boston upsets Milwaukee and then Toronto gets Boston and then Toronto gets gets to the finals again. Uh, I think they're, I think Toronto's a bad matchup for the Lakers as we, as we've seen twice this year. Um, I don't know that that means they would win a seven game series, but I, I wouldn't be totally shocked if it happened, if they, if they face the Lakers. So, I mean, I think, I think I'd, I'd go with six teams. I think there are six teams and I would, I would cut it off after there. I would go with the two teams in LA, Houston, Milwaukee, Toronto. I, I, just, I, I don't know why Philly, can't get it together, and so Boston would be my sixteen. Philly, I'm watching from a from a Warriors perspective because I'm like Philly might blow it up if it gets bad mm-hmm. there, you know. Because uh, particularly, I mean, I think Brett Brown might be in his final days. So we know the Lakers are the one seed now. That is that is that is locked in. It's been locked in for months, but now we can say it. We can shout it from the hilltops. It is official. Uh, LeBron can now say outlandish things about it because it is uh, it is now done. Um, which means they're going to be playing the eighth seed, and that is probably the last interesting thing to be determined in these seeding games in the bubble before the playoffs get started. Uh, a very talented colleague of mine, you, wrote about this last night. Once the one seed was determined, you said, who should they want to play? Who should they not want to play? What was the conclusion? Well, you know, I think Portland's being overhyped as a, as a threat at eight, but it's clear that they're the toughest matchup of the you know again i think what you i'm a uh, as i did in the article take the kings take the suns away yes you know, they're, that's it's not gonna be them right now memphis is eight but memphis is you know falling quick they're zero and three in the bubble and i don't know if you've seen their you know remaining five but they're all against like top four seeds in either conference there's a chance memphis goes one and four oh and five and drops from eight you know to nine or even ten and they're not even in the playing game Portland is the rising team. Nurkic has looked awesome. He had 30 and 9 the other day against Boston. Um, and the fact that he's not, it's not just, hey, Nurkic is back and he's helping. It's like he actually looks like the Nurkic pre, you know, leg break, which has kind of been a, a little bit of a shock. Um, and, you know, you have Lillard. To me, they have the mindset over a Memphis, a Memphis or New Orleans, which I wrote in there, is like, it's a young mindset where you, if either of those teams got to the eight seed, mission accomplished. You know, it's like season is a success. You have the young guys who get a little taste of playoff basketball. They get to see LeBron and AD and, you know, how playoff basketball feels and, and what it means. And and then they go back 
to their camp for the summer. Usually it's the summer, whatever this offseason is. Uh, and it's just lessons learned for Morant and Jackson or for mm-hmm. Zion and Brandon Ingram. Um, and they go into next season with that kind of boost. Hey, we were a playoff team last year. So so they kind of enter that first round like, whatever if we lose. Whereas Portland enters with a different mission. You have Carmelo, McCollum, Lillard, playoff experience guys who are desperate before this core kind of runs its course. Um, and that just makes them more threatening. The fact that Lillard's been there, he scored 50 in playoff games. He's been awesome. He's won series. Um, but at the same time, again, I think I've mentioned this in the past, I watched that Portland team against a Warriors team that did not have Kevin Durant. It was not a Kevin Durant Warriors team who was injured the entire series. And though that Warriors team swept them. 4-0, very easy. Portland just doesn't have that next you know, gear. And to me, the Lakers, you know, we can argue the Lakers, I don't think, are what the Warriors were. Even the Warriors, not Durant. But the Lakers are just, they're they're at a place, if healthy, that I don't think Portland can get to. Um, but at the same time, I think Portland's still, like, not who you want at eight. And then my conclusion at the end of the article was who you do want at eight, who has, shockingly, I mean, I guess we shouldn't be shocked, but they're doing it again San Antonio's in the conversation. Yep. You know, they're just they, they right there. they've won yeah, they've won a couple early, even though they don't even have Aldridge. You know, Aldridge is out with, with shoulder surgery. DeRozan's like declining, but you know, Popovich and just that system and you know, you have Derek White and Deontay Murray, like they have um they've got themselves in the conversation and they have some winnable games coming up, some big games. Uh and if they can Sneak in. I think that's exactly who the Lakers want. I think you want anybody but Portland in that mix. Um, and and not because Portland is going to win the series. I think we are of the same mind that that the Lakers have will be able to overpower that Portland team. But Portland is going to make you work in a way that those other those other teams just aren't going to aren't going to be able to. Um, I worry about the guards from Portland. I I worry about Portland size being able to neutralize the, the Lakers' advantage inside. Um, you know, AD can take Zach Collins outside and, and I think have some success there. But the Lakers have had such an advantage on the interior all year because of their three seven-footers. Well, guess what? Portland now has three healthy seven-footers. That said, if Zach Collins doesn't get hurt at the beginning of the year, if Nurkic was healthy this year, um, they also lost Rodney Hood. If this was a healthy Blazers team all year, I still don't know where I would slot them in in the West. Maybe they're somewhere in that 6-7 range, I suppose. But this is still right just around a, Dallas, probably. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, and, and so I mean, it's not even out of the question that you know, if you've got those three teams, let's say the or really four, five teams: Rockets, Jazz, Thunder, Mavs, uh, kind of all in the same zone. Maybe you put a healthy Portland team in that same group. I mean, they, the Blazers could have still been in the eight seed with with the way with how tight that is. Yeah. So I, I, you know, this is this is not like it was the one seed in the West lost key pieces, got healthy, and now is coming back. I think the I think the Blazers are not your typical eight seed if they get in. Uh, Frank Vogel said that last night. Basically, whoever I they face, that I not agree the... though because like last like they're your typical eight seed in the West because like the Clippers were the Clippers last year were the eight seed. They hit one forty eight win forty eight games. They were good. They they gave the Warriors a challenge. This if you extrapolate out where the where this season was going, the Mavs and the seven seed were going to be a fifty win team. Um, or, or, or close to it. But the AC was going to be like a 38-win team or something, and is yeah. going to be something like that. And that, I guess 
I guess where I would agree with Vogel is if it's Portland, it's a normal, really tough West eight seed. If it's not Portland, this is a, maybe the easiest eight seed to beat in a long time in the West. Yeah, if you, it's a good point. If you flip what he was saying and you um, and you take it more literally, a typical eight seed is a is a really really tough out and a and a veteran team that's going to push you. And and um, if you it's the Grizzlies, the the Pelicans, the Spurs. Um, you have a little bit more breathing room in the first round, something that hasn't been the case for a a number of years in the West. What I wrote about, and and kind of part of why I concluded San Antonio would be like the dream scenario for the Lakers. Um, I was covered the Warriors a couple years ago and they were the two seed. And on the final night, there was a bunch, it was, it was one of those, I think it was the same night where the Nuggets and the Wolves played for winner gets the eight seed. But there was just like a lot of machinations on the final night of the regular season of who could land where. And through the wash, San Antonio ended up, uh, becoming the seventh seed, and I remember talking to a few Warriors coaches that night, and they were like, "They that's what they had wanted. They were really happy for San Antonio, not just because hey, you know, they know they could beat San Antonio, but there was all they, they knew they could get through to their players with hey, you know, playing a Popovich team game one, you got to be ready. They're going to be sharp. Uh, they won't beat themselves. You got to play playoff basketball. You're going to beat them, but you have to beat them. You can't yeah. just." You know, you can't go out like you're playing in Memphis and like John Morant and like, you know, maybe those guys, you play poorly, but you might win anyways because the young guys just aren't ready for the stage. And there was a thought within the Warriors coaching staff that San Antonio, particularly, you know, not the Tim Duncan, the Kawhi Leonard, San Antonio Spurs, the Spurs we're talking about now, which are, they're under talented, but they're always well coached. You, If you get them in the first round, it's just such a good tune up. It's like the great non-conference tune-up for the second round third and the West Finals. So um, I think San Antonio, you know, they might scare you a game or two, but they they won't scare you in four games. And to to me, they're just they're, they would be the perfect matchup. And they actually, I think there's a better chance than people think it might be them. And that is the NBA does not want that. By the way, that would that would be kind of a want want. Looking at the Spurs, the Spurs upcoming schedule after um, losing to Philly on Monday, they've got the Nuggets and Jazz, and then the Pelicans, Rockets, and Jazz. I mean, that's not a it's not an easy schedule the rest of the way. I mean, those are all. No, it's not. It's those not. are all. But the problem, I mean, the problem in the bubble is you only really have playoff teams on the schedule. I mean, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of breathing room. There's only a handful of teams that are, you know, you'd consider, you know, easier outs. The the um the Nets, the Wizards, the um the Kings, the the Suns. Because the Blazers also, with their six games, that on on Tuesday yeah. they're playing Houston, then Denver, then the Clippers, then the Sixers, then the Mavs, then the Nets. They close with the Nets. I mean, that's you know, the Blazers have played probably two of the most entertaining games in the bubble so far. Their overtime win against um Memphis and then their their scrambling comeback Dame's great uh third and fourth quarter against against the Celtics ultimately a loss. I mean they're they're playing, you know, they're playing some real um uh some real t- tight games and and the matchups aren't getting easier for them. You know, I, I don't know what it's going to take you to get what? to get that that differentiation in that 8 spot um to get to the play-in scenario. Well, it's a strange scenario where of all these like 8 seed possibilities um the Pelicans have been the most disappointing, right? They had those two early games where not only, you know, they, they lost on opening night uh, at the buzzer, but then they got blown out in their second game. And the Zion, uh, you know, minute restriction has become a huge story. And it's just the vibe around their team yeah. feels so bad that you kind of took them out of your mind as an eight seed possibility. 
Um, but, but they have the they, easiest schedule. Look at yes, this. Yes, yes, exactly. I know. That's what I was about to bring up. Kings, Wizards, Spurs, Kings, Magic. Yep. Um, and Kings they twice, beat Memphis. Wizards, and Magic, Spurs. I mean, they could yeah. win out. They could. I mean, I, I don't want to say they could easily win out because I don't think anything is easy in in this in this in this bubble situation. But that is a that is the most favorable schedule we've we've yes. looked at so far. And if they win out, they're definitely at least in the play-in game, right? right? I mean, they're at least. At, in the eight nine now are they eight or are they nine maybe nine but Memphis is probably going to go two and three the rest of the way. <sighs> I mean, it's another it's I another think tough schedule. It's too much credit. I think they might go one and four, zero oh and five. Um, they had to me they have the worst schedule. I mean, I had it on here: Jazz, Thunder, Raptors, Celtics, Bucks. Yes, it could happen. I was giving I was giving them a, a win over the Jazz for some reason. I was giving them probably Jazz haven't impressed me. They were okay against the Lakers yesterday. Yeah. But... I'm just yeah. not there. I'm well, and also, I mean, in their opener, it took it took um, it took so much for them to come back. Was it against the Thunder? Um, it, you know, Conley Conley looked good early on, but then they fell in that big hole and then came back and, and were able to pull it out. But just a um, for for some of these teams, it just seems like they're they're having to work too hard for too narrow of a result. And I put Utah in in that category. Yeah. You want to talk Anthony Davis? I mean, he looked like the MVP of the league last night, so we probably should acknowledge him. I don't know. I mean, the the, the Raptors game was interesting to me um, because he is a top five talent, but he is of those top five guys we talked about, which include LeBron, but also, you know, Kawhi or uh, Giannis. Giannis put, at least played like deep into the conference finals last year and was very close to taking down Kawhi. Almost went up 3-0 before they kind of collapsed. Um, Davis is the one, especially at age 27, who just has not played big basketball games. Very many, at least. The furthest he has gone is into round two, because he beat Portland in round one, uh, and then went into round two and got 4-1 by the Warriors pretty easily. Um, it's And I'm... If he is the guy we saw last night on a consistent basis, he is the top five guy that can take over a playoff series and really, in my opinion, makes the Lakers a nudge above the Clippers because they have two top five guys and the Clippers have two, like we've talked about, maybe, you know. Top uh, 16 guys. Top, Yeah, exactly. Um, but I am a little afraid of him being the guy we saw in Toronto. Maybe not, ex- you know, maybe not se- you know, seven shots in 35 minutes, but just a little too hesitant, a little just not as much force as needed because he hasn't been there. Now, LeBron must be in his ear. I assume it seems LeBron was in his ear between the Toronto game and the Jazz game um, because he came out and shot 14 times in the first quarter, and that was a clear directive yeah. from you know in his mind. I mean, he took seven shots. He took seven He matched his total from the, the Raptors game in the first five minutes against yeah. against the Jazz. It was, it was obvious that he had um, gotten the message. Maybe he read your piece challenging him to be more assertive. But, I mean, it's obvious. You've got a guy who averages 27 points. He's your leading scorer. Um, he's probably your most most effective and um, versatile scorer. Got to get the shots up. Yeah. Well, what I found interesting was the way they delicately handled it post game. Where so he does not play well against Toronto. He goes two of seven, and they lose on national TV down the stretch. He doesn't take a shot in the final six minutes. When that's when they lost. It was eighty three, eighty three, and then mm-hmm. they end up losing by fifteen. Um, he took. I'm watching the game. And I know they're doubling it. You know, Nurse is smart and he is a good defensive mind. They were trying to get it out of his hands, but I'm watching it, going, "What are you doing, Davis? Like, like do you know, do something, force action. That's what stars do. Particularly, not even just the whole game where he was 
passive, but per, you know maybe you, we've seen it with LeBron. All right, he he doesn't shoot a lot. Okay, it's 83-83. I'm you know I am going to take over in the last five minutes. He didn't, and then you get to post game, and all it is is Vogel, LeBron, and Davis talking about how you know basically putting the blame on Danny Green and Contavious Caldwell Pope for missing shots. And don't get me wrong, they miss shots. We can criticize them. We they've been bad, Green in particular, but. I would just like Dave is not going to take any responsibility for this. Um, and that's a public tack, clearly. Then they went behind the scenes, it seems, and told him, hey, you know, you need to be more forceful. But I just, I don't love, it's just not a great early sign to me that they have to like act like it wasn't Davis's fault. I mean, you hit the nail on the head that Nick Nurse is a, is a bit of a genius and is probably going to be coach of the year. So it's, you know, that's, that's, that's the second best defense in the league. But the Lakers have to have, Counterpunches. They have to. I mean, Frank Vogel is also a a a, a skilled tactician. He has Jason Kidd, who is one of the greatest offensive, uh, you know, one of the greatest point guards in NBA history. There has to be there has to be that that next level that um that 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 response. And I thought I thought Anthony Davis got basically knocked off center early on by that double team against the Raptors and never and never really recovered. Now. Um, I feel like he did take responsibility for that game once he had had a bounce back game. That's what I mean. Not once, he, once he had once he put in forty two points and had basically you know had that got been able to wash that taste out of his mouth and reminded fans that he's actually Anthony Davis. It was a lot easier to say, oh yeah, I was bad against the Raptors. But the night that it happened, there wasn't any. Um, there wasn't. It any, felt this, this is on me. Well, and and he was and they were and they were giving him the excuse. And that's now the one thing I'll say about it because I I. You know, we have such small sample size in this bubble. We haven't seen basketball in f- five months. Um, I'm willing to I'm willing to sort of allow for bad games here and there. Well, it was low but stakes. This wasn't game two of the of the of a series. You know, one thing LeBron said though, and I think it was encouraging, and uh, certainly how LeBron looks at it was: great players can take the lesson from one game and and learn from it. And and that's something that Anthony Davis is going to have to figure out when they get into the playoffs and get into the really high stakes games, when you are playing better defenses, when um, teams are locked in on you, where they are throwing wrinkles at you that you didn't see in the regular season, how do you respond to those from game one to game two, to game three, to game four and and so on? Because that is going to be, that is going to be a big part of, of this playoffs is, is the Lakers ability to adjust to the way that different teams defend LeBron and Anthony Davis. LeBron has done that. He has had those counterattacks for 17 years. AD hasn't, you know, he's played what, 15 playoff games, something like that. Like it, it, he does, like you said, he has not been in those, in those choppy waters before. I guess if I was just like uh, an opposing team, let's say I'm the Rockets or whoever watching how Toronto, not only how Toronto defended him, but then how the Lakers uh, talked about it post game. And they seem to say, well, you know, you, you double, you, he made the right move. And it's just Danny Green's got to hit shots. Contavious Caldwell Pope's got to hit shots. If I am, a West rival, I'm like, yes, keep that mindset. Let's double Davis. And the Lakers are telling him every time you get doubled, you know, swing it and the open shooter will be Danny Green or Pope. And, you know, that's it. To me, you, Green might hit that hit enough. Pope may hit enough to beat you in a series. But I am way more comfortable with those guys having to beat me in a series than an aggressive Davis beating me in a series. And to me, there was just too much of a... Con- conceding nature um to just well you know nick nurse did this so we had to do that no you force action you know that's that's where again i'm just that's 
that's something to just kind of put in my mind as like a bookmark yeah. where down the road we might be referencing that Raptors game as far as like, you know, remember this? This is what what's the problem. And when you are Anthony Davis, making the right play is not always the right play. <laughs> Sometimes the right play is to not pass out of the double team. It's it's not to find the open shooter. It is to it is to it is to split the double team and find a way to attack and get fouled. And the Lakers obviously felt like AD did that more in the second half against the Raptors than certainly was um, all kinds of assertive against the Jazz. Obviously got different defensive looks also. Um, by the way, Anthony Davis has played in 13 playoff games and um, never has played deeper into a series than a game five, right? So, I mean, yeah. he's never, never been in, the, in that, you know, game seven, gotta be, gotta be locked in. Now, I don't know if that means anything. We could play a game of thing or not a thing. But this is going to be the year, presumably, where he finds himself in those in those you know series clinching game six, game sevens, um, win or go home type situations that um, you know eluded him in New Orleans and were part of the reason he wanted out of there. Yeah, I mean the truth is, we, I keep calling him a top five player, but you prove you're a top five player deep in the playoffs. That's where the other top five players have. That's why Kawhi and LeBron. Even it's not like Kawhi's really had a good season, but there's a reason why. You know, we wouldn't be sitting here if we were doing a Clippers podcast having a concerning conversation about Kawhi. Yeah, if he had a bad yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, hey, look, you know who hasn't been that good? LeBron. <laughs> you know, he hasn't been terrific. He's been great defensively. His offensive numbers are way down. His, you know, I don't think he's looked that great. He hasn't looked like great LeBron the first three games, but we're not really going to ha- need to have a concerning conversation about LeBron because he's LeBron. You know, how many... Uh, it's funny you say that. Davis has played 13 playoff games. How many playoff games has LeBron played? Uh, that would be 239. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that tells you what you need to know. But Davis, to me, has been takeaway number one through three games. What else about uh, what we've seen has caught your eye? Uh, Kyle Kuzma, I, th- I think, has been um, pretty impressive in the first few games. He's... Uh, been been a, a problem defensively in a good way I think he's I think he's really engaged defensively and has taken on his assignments Alex Caruso I thought bounced back pretty well against the Jazz after having some late turnovers against the Raptors and kind of contributing to that late collapse played great defense on Kyle Lowry um, Danny Green's shooting struggles are obviously um, pretty prominent but also not unprecedented that's something we've seen from him throughout and um KCP has not been a factor. I'm waiting for him to assert himself. I feel like the Lakers uh, are missing. I think we've seen how much they are missing Avery Bradley. Yeah. um, Danny Green, 2 of 13 from 3. Deion Waiters, 3 of 14 from 3. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, 2 of 10 from 3. Them as a team, Lakers as a team, 30 of 102, shooting 29% from 3. That's a major problem. They, we kind of knew it going in, you know, that, that... they're an elite team without elite three-point shooting in an era where that has become kind of like the most important thing to have. Well, especially um, on a LeBron James team, it's the most important yeah, thing to have. Spread around them. Um, so you you don't expect those struggles to continue. What's interesting is they're shooting 29%, and that's with Kyle Kuzma at 9 of 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's over 50%. He's a guy that was maybe their worst defender this season as like a high-usage, low-efficiency uh, three-point shooter. Um, so... But to me, what bigger picture um, problem right now is JaVale has been bad. Yeah, that's uh, true, 35, too. Th- 35 minutes, they're minus 21 in 35 minutes. Well, and he only played, like, 
seven minutes against was it against the Raptors? He had one game where he he played in the single digits. They're pulling him early, and 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 it's really the fact that you know Javale was very good starter on the Warriors because in the even in the playoffs because they they spread they could really spread the floor around him. They had the three point shooting. That made him the lob threat. Uh, you know, you just kind of rip open the court for him, and then suddenly he's just crushing four lob dunks a game. Uh, with with the crun- more of a crunch floor for the Lakers because they're not shooting at all. He's just kind of been a non-factor. And then the fact that he's sitting next to a guy who should be a starting center in the NBA. I mean, that's just the reality. Anthony Davis in the modern NBA is a perfect five. Uh, yet he wants to play four. He starts at four, and he's next to JaVale and. I think it kind of hurts Javale, and it's I, I I think we might get to a point when it matters most when they play the Clippers. Anthony Davis will be starting, and you know maybe it's Kuzma at the four is you know replacing Javale, but uh, Javale may be heading towards DMP territory uh, in in the wrong matchup later in the playoffs, particularly you know Clippers matchup. That's interesting, and and we've obviously you know even before the hiatus, right? You go back to when the Lakers beat the Clippers on March eighth. Javale played only twelve minutes in that game, so I mean it's obviously not a good matchup for him. It's a harder matchup for the Lakers to play um, Javale, Dwight, and AD. I think you know, and listen, we've kind of always known that the Lakers are their most dangerous with AD at the five. And when we get into the postseason, when these games are when these games matter to the level they do and every possession matters i think you're going to see a lot more ad at the five maybe maybe javel still gets the token start but the the but the value in that is sort of out the window once you're in a western conference final series yeah the name that could can jumble up the rotation a bit in this sense i think it's markeith morris um if he can be good he is a nice let's you know kind of more of like a small ball four a guy next to JaVale, maybe even a starter, where you keep Kuzma in his more comfortable rotation off the bench and you go Morris instead of JaVale. Dwight Dwight gets some non-AD um, minutes where Dwight's basically the backup five and AD's almost like a full-time five. But Morris really hasn't been very good. I was going to say, the problem with this theory, and we, we've limited definitely a limited sample size, but he was a DNP against the Jazz. He's only played 13 minutes in the bubble. In, in He looks the most out of shape. Of all their players, the well, most. Listen, like, he missed. He missed. He missed their training camp in Orlando. He showed up basically in time for the last scrimmage. Um, he was. He was the Lakers' only you know late arrival. And you know you can kind of write that off and be like, well, it's Markeith Morris. So like you know they can withstand you know him not being in peak form. But at the same time, this is still the guy they waved. You know, you know they create. They waved to Marcus Cousins to get the a guy that they felt like would give them the size on the perimeter they needed to maybe not be a lockdown defender against some of these um, bigger wings in, in the West, but at least somebody you could throw at them. And really so far, I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't been effective in that role. Now um, maybe he's able to play himself, his way into shape, get a little more rhythm going, but you know, the Lakers are also not going to be a team that's practicing a lot. We've all, we know it's hard to get court time and, and, extra workout time in the bubble. So it's going to be interesting to see if Markeith Morris ends up being a factor because he hasn't been. So Anything else Lakers-wise, league-wide that uh kind of looking at? I think, you know, you, you we've talked about the eighth seed a lot, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast as well, and you wrote it, but that 4-5 seed is now where it's going to get interesting because the Lakers are yeah. going to win their first-round matchup. It would require a, a total calamity for them not to get through the first round. So then the question is, who's going to be waiting for them there? And there are, and, and the options range from pretty good to pretty bad. And I, I think, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Yes, you you figure they probably would beat a Houston, but you'd rather not have to find out. And that's the matchup that we know is um, 
is 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 the scariest. Houston's looked awesome. Um, they're putting up points in just huge ways. Unlike the Lakers, who can't make shots. Um, and then you know, in the East, I'm fascinated to see who comes out who comes out of there because Milwaukee feels like such a juggernaut. But there are other teams playing at a high level. Teams that you know, if they find themselves at the right time, could certainly um, disrupt that. And then and then it kind of changes the whole calculus of who's going to actually win this thing. Yeah, the Lakers might have a like mini chance the next couple games to uh, manipulate it a bit. They're playing the Thunder and then the Rockets um, the next two games, so that should be interesting. Houston right now is sitting at nine, uh, or they're nine games back at one. Houston's the fourth seed. Uh, Utah's the fifth seed. Thunder's the sixth seed, but they're all really bunched up. Um, Utah's only a half game back. The Thunder uh, are one game back. I think I, you know, if the Lakers just rested and took a loss against Houston um they could maybe like I said manipulate it to maybe Houston could hop the Nuggets Houston's only one and a half back of the Nuggets um so I could see that being like a strategic rest game potentially the Lakers still need to figure out what's going to be effective for them against this Rockets team the only time we've seen the big big Lakers play the small Rockets was right after the Robert Covington trade and that was you know we came into the arena that night not even knowing if Robert Covington was going to play and he ended up being great. Um, PJ Tucker started at center, and that was kind of the first real encouraging sign. Hey, maybe the Rockets are onto something here. And the Lakers were supposed to get another look at them right at right uh, before the hiatus. It was their next game on the schedule. It was that Thursday game against the Rockets? And I think that you can make a pretty strong case. It's a bad matchup for a Lakers team that has really um, been able to overwhelm teams with their size. But all of a sudden, the Rockets are going to be able to pull your centers um, all out on the perimeter. Um, you've got some of the, you know, the, the quickest guards in the league. I just think that, um, it's something the Lakers probably want to see and get a feel for before potentially encountering them in the playoffs. So yes, strategically take the loss, let, let, let the Rockets, uh, slide up to, to third and be, be the Clippers problem. But, um, I don't know. You hear a lot of people talk about basketball gods. I'm not sure I believe in that, but I do believe in, um, learning as much gathering as much yeah. information as you can before the postseason no doubt it's a balance but um you know maybe you can do both maybe um but i just like i'm looking at like you would much rather have denver in the four and then if you throw houston in the three you might not not even have to worry about this strange new thing because that means it's going to be houston clippers in the second round and you know if somehow you do have to play Houston, that means they took down the Clippers, and now you don't have to play the Clippers, which is that's a win right there. So I truthfully think they should rest against Houston, um, give Houston the win, and just hope that you 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 kind of toss Houston into the Clippers bracket, and then um, basketball gods, whatever or not, you then suddenly you only have to play one of those two instead of both of those two. Because to me, as we talked about earlier, there is a, in my opinion, a clear playoff drop off after Houston, and if you. If you only have to play one of those two, that's a that's a that's a huge win, um, and, and that's much more important to me than gathering forty eight minutes of like, you know, my, a mild bit of data for for a team that maybe you wouldn't have to you you very likely wouldn't have to play because I think Houston would lose to the Clippers. You can not even worry about Houston if you can get them in the three seed. I get it. It's just that there are still we're not even halfway through the bubble, so it's not even clear. That if if the Lakers rest and give Houston that win, that that's going to be enough to get them into third. But I got a um, question though. They if Houston if, if we're sitting there at the end of the season and Houston finishes a half game behind Denver, 
because the Lakers beat them. The Lakers played all out because they wanted to get some data on Houston. They beat them in like a tough, you know, good game at the finish. Um, but that's the reason Houston is now the four seed, and that's the reason they now have to play Houston in the second round. I'm not sure that we're, we might be viewing that decision to beat Houston in a different light because um, they're close. You know, th- that's what it may come down to in this bubble, which is such a small little sample size. It's probably going to come down to one game between Houston and, and Denver. And if they can manipulate that game, then maybe that saves them down the road. I understand the logic. Uh, it's just interesting. I mean, it would be. I think it would be a much easier call if this was, you know, the second to last or last game uh, on, on the schedule. Um, also, it would be pretty transparent what they were doing, which is also fine, I suppose. But it would be... Um, just it's, to me, it's an easier call if it's if you're doing it at the end of the schedule as opposed to with with five games. Skip Bayless would whine the the morning after that the Lakers are ducking Houston, but you know maybe it's wise to duck Houston. I don't know. I don't know who that is. Wow. This has been the Forum Club, part of the Athletics NBA Podcast Network. I am Bill Orem, joined by Anthony Slater. Continue to read our coverage of the Lakers in the bubble on the Athletic. Subscribe to Athletic Podcasts, and thank you for listening. <laughs>